Open our ears, Lord, that we would hear the gospel. May you transform us through our connection, the risen Lord Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit, even as we have been united with him in communion. May your Holy Spirit now, the Spirit of Christ, be the one who teaches us as we reflect on, on the gospel reading. In Christ's name, amen. Once more, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding banquet, but they would not come. Again, he sent other slaves, saying, Tell those who've been invited, look, I've prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fat calves have been slaughtered. Everything's ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they made light of it and went away. One to his farm, another to his business. While the rest seized his slaves, mistreated them and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his troops, destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his slaves, the wedding is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore into the main streets and invite everyone you find to the wedding banquet. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered all whom they had found, both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man those there who was not wearing a wedding robe. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding robe? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot, throw him into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. Now this is a reading from the Gospel of Matthew, and it is difficult to reflexively respond to this reading by saying, Thanks be to God for the Gospel. Okay? So, I'm going to say, Thanks be to God for the Gospel. You don't have to. But I do invite you to imagine that apocalyptic language like this is apocalyptic language like this. Uh, it is judgment language, and it's judgment language for a reason. We live in a moral universe where what we do matters. But the apocalyptic scary language part of it, that's always ordered towards redemption. Um, we'll talk about that in a few minutes. I just kind of want to say that as we come out of the gate here. Indeed, God, uh, speak to us in this passage. Amen. Well, this gospel reading has us back in that same portion of Matthew that we've been in for a couple of weeks now. Jesus is telling another parable, the third of three in a row. And this parable, like the other two, is crafted as a confrontation against the corrupt religious elites who opposed Jesus and his message. And um, as we begin to talk about it, I want to, once again, I want to offer some context. Now the context is familiar to many of you uh, for lots of reasons. Maybe you just know what the context is. Um, but we actually have been talking about this context the last couple of Sundays because each one of these three parables in a row has been a confrontation judgment parable against the corrupt religious elite. So we tried to offer context each time. Uh, but we'll do it again here this morning. Um, 
because we're trying to come to grips with why there's a small group, of, a relatively small group of powerful, corrupt men who oppose Jesus so violently. They happen to also be the ones who are running the show in Jerusalem and the temple at the time. Let's talk about why uh, that happened. In order to do that, we have to go way back to the beginning of Jesus' ministry uh, to recognize that right out of the gate when Jesus comes onto the scene, uh, he's known for two things. He's known for a radical, inclusive welcome, and he's known to reinterpret the Old Testament law and correct misinterpretations that were current in the day. The reinterpretation of the Old Testament law was along the lines of, well, think about the miracle that he did on the Sabbath, which immediately the religious people that, that are out to get him here that he's confronting in this parable, those are the same people and the same kinds of people that, that are very threatened by, uh, by those two things, the radical inclusive hospitality, eats with sinners, eats with anybody who will eat with them because the inclusive welcome of God is just that. It's inclusive, it's universal, uh, it's radical, okay? Uh, that makes them nervous because those are the people that they want to keep at arm's length those are the people that they're constantly afraid are going to wrest power from them and find a more suitable leader, okay? Um, he's gaining popularity with all kinds of people because his welcome is so gracious, so opening. And then uh, they also are really afraid of somebody who has a new and fresh or correcting interpretation of the law that places the needs of human beings first, Sabbath was made for human beings. Remember that passage? The Sabbath was made for human beings, not human beings for the Sabbath. That seems to be like the guiding principle of how Jesus correctly interprets the law. But wait a minute. If there's somebody who a lot of people are excited about, and they're following him, and they're beginning to talk about, is he the Messiah? And this same one works miracles and helps people in ways that he needs to be helped, and does it in a way that challenges the religious elite's interpretation of the law. That, to them, is a person that is dangerous, a person who can perhaps be that person that can wrest power from them, and they are very nervous. They are very afraid. And as I mentioned, it was either last Sunday or the Sunday before, it's really remarkable because it, the Gospel of Mark is an economy of words, and it's just like, boom, 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 boom. And, and so... When you go to Mark, very early in Mark, after Jesus has basically exhibited this radical hospitality and healing on the Sabbath, Mark tells us that immediately, immediately, these, this relatively small group of men, corrupt leadership of the temple, they immediately collude with each other and begin to plot the demise of Jesus right outside the gate and the only thing jesus has done is help people okay and um and eat with in their mind the wrong people these people that i'm i'm calling them a relatively small group of men okay because that's who they are um 
They're not an enormous amount of people, but they have power, right? Uh, they're part of Israel's ruling class. And like most people who have power, uh, and especially people that get power in the wrong way, they love their power. They love it. It equaled money and control for them. They had worked out various ways of colluding with their Roman imperial masters um, in order to sort of like govern on their behalf and skim off the top. They don't want Jesus threatening that. They don't want him to get a big following. But a big following he gains. And of course that leads to the absurd trial and horrible crucifixion when they get Pilate to do their dirty work in the next few chapters. So that's a bit of the context that sets the stage for this parable we just read. Jesus is in the role of the Old Testament prophet with this parable. Jesus is in the role of an Old Testament prophet in this parable. And he's in that role a lot. In fact, the, you know, sort of one of the famous ways of talking about Jesus in the tradition of theology that I come from is that Jesus fulfills the offices of prophet, priest, and king fully and beautifully, right? Um, and this is an example of him fulfilling the role of prophet. Jesus, like the Old Testament prophets before him, is opposing, and this is important to remember, what Jesus is doing here is not anything new. This is exactly what the Old Testament prophets did, right? The Old Testament prophets opposed corrupt religious leadership. And at the same time, and this Jesus also does, the Old Testament prophets before him advocated for those at the margins. It is no coincidence that this last parable the one that we took up this morning, this last parable in this cluster of three, it's no coincidence that it pictures a party for who? <laughs> Those in the margins, right? And it pictures the powerful being excluded. So many of the prophecies, prophecies in the Old Testament call Israel to live into the ways of God. And the ways of God are to always look out for and provide for the widows you can fill in the blanks here if you grew up in church the orphans right um, the poor and then depending on your translation the aliens the sojourners the immigrants right Nicholas Walterstorff uh, one of our gifts to the church in the form of a philosopher and ethicist who's now in his 90s, uh, just living over in Grand Rapids again. He taught at Calvin for years, then taught at Yale, and then taught at UVA. He's worked so carefully on issues of justice. I'm so grateful for his ministry to the church over the years. And he caused this grouping that occurs so frequently in the Old Testament on the lips of the prophets, he calls this grouping um, the quartet of the vulnerable. The quartet of the vulnerable. And he urges us to see that it is, is shorthand in the witness of Scripture for, for all those without power. 
who are at the mercy of those who have power. They are dear to God, so they also should be dear to us. Now, Jesus in this parable, he is speaking truth in a particular place in time on the way to the cross. We know that through the cross he will vanquish evil and unleash the grace and mercy of God in a new and powerful way in the world through his resurrection, ascension, and giving of the Spirit at Pentecost. These same men against whom this parable is told will be the first audience for the good news of the gospel and they will be invited to be reconciled to the one that they have crucified. Remember, at the heart of the gospel is radical enemy love embodied first in Jesus and now by us and without radical enemy, of lo- radical enemy love, you don't have the gospel. So you have to keep all that in mind that this, all of this is happening in a particular place in a particular time, okay? For a particular reason. And the judgment language... What about it? Um, What about the guy that shows up dressed for a pool party when it's a formal wedding? Well, the thing to remember there is that God's judgment is always, and we mentioned this earlier, always ordered towards redemption, towards an outcome that provides newness of life through repentance. But we need to acknowledge that the judgment language is there for a reason. We need to acknowledge and be sobered by the fact that when we move against God's love in the world, we're going to experience judgment from God. One way of thinking about it, I think it's helpful, is um, when we hear judgment language, we should hear it as the way God loves us when we're not loving him or not loving him properly. The other purpose of judgment language, like what we have in this parable, is to remind us that paying attention to God's work in the world should have a sense of urgency for us. It's not something that, um, you know, take it or leave it, right? That's sort of the spirit of those who who'd say, you know, I'm not interested in coming to the wedding feast, right? Eh, busy. Well, I don't like the way you cook. I mean, it's so it's so ridiculously trivial, right? All those excuses that they give, and I think the Jesus, the master storyteller, what he's doing is is he's 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 writing this, uh, or he's he's telling this story certainly about a particular place in a particular time, but he's also telling it against uh, our fallen human nature, which is to say, eh. Kick the can down the road. Maybe it's important. I'll deal with it later. Now, these, these stories that are told are meant to uh, light a fire under us, to give us a sense of urgency. Um, I was thinking about this recently, very recently actually, a few days ago, when I was with a group of folks from Grace. We were representing Grace at the Breakthrough Urban Ministries Benefit Dinner a few days ago. Um, the work that they are doing, Breakthrough Urban Ministries, our, our community service partner, 
Christian Community Development Association partner on the west side of Chicago in the East Garfield Park neighborhood. Um, not just them, but a lot of groups like them, and I'll talk about Breakthrough because they're our partner. Uh, they're doing work that's not kick the can down the road work. It is urgent work. Urgent work. It's not the kind of work that you say, oh, I don't know. I don't want to come. <laughs> I mean, really, if you can get over the fact that there's so much about this apocalyptic judgment language that we're uncomfortable with and don't understand uh, properly, if you can get over that, there, there's a dark humor line in this story that Jesus tells. I mean, like, who is it that doesn't want to go to a party? And none of these people want to go to a party. I mean, they're being cast as, like, ridiculous and stupid, and they miss the point, and how could you possibly not see urgency and event in all of this? They lack curiosity. That's the thing that separates Nicodemus, who is, is in that group, right, of, 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 um, of religious elite. And Nicodemus is so curious about what Jesus says that he sneaks out at night and he comes to Jesus and he says, tell me more. I've got to know more about this. Nicodemus is curious. Nicodemus understands that there's urgency in what Jesus is doing and what Jesus is saying. And then so many other people don't. Well, um, what does all this have to do with us? Well, I, I was looking at it through the lens of, of being at that benefit dinner the other day and thinking, you know, as a partner breakthrough, we should be thinking about breakthrough in their work regularly. That's why we had that prayer in the prayers of the people this morning. That prayer was, um, was, was actually taken from an email that they send out regularly asking for their partner churches to pray for them. And the phrases that came in that prayer are written by their leadership. We should look for opportunities to volunteer when they come up. We should pray for them regularly and, and give in other ways too as God prompts and provides. And how many other examples could we come up with of things that are actually urgent in our city that we don't treat with a sense of urgency? Or how many things like that are in our personal lives, for that matter, that we don't treat with a sense of urgency? It could be as mundane as neglecting a friend who's in need because it's easier to kick the can down the road, look for another opportunity to talk about it. I'm busy, right? We've all been there. Um, could be not paying attention to a family member who's in pain for the same kinds of reasons or as profound as reorganizing one's finances and calendar to become actively involved or more actively involved in things in the city that are urgent, right? Whether it's breakthrough or whether it's becoming more involved with Grace Chicago Church to, to ensure the long-term um, sustainability of our church through your volunteering and other efforts and your giving. Um, constantly asking myself these questions not perfectly. Uh, sometimes I'd just rather have another cappuccino. Um, but uh, those are the kind of questions we need to open ourselves up to hearing God speak to us and answer us around. Are we paying attention to things that are urgent around us?
There are things in this world that God thinks are urgent and that we sometimes don't think are urgent. May God give us the eyes to see and the heart to act more faithfully when we do see. And as Artie and the musicians come, I'm going to take a page from Tony Pizarro, who was a guest preacher with us recently, who is pursuing a calling around prophetic preaching, has to do with justice issues. And Tony, somewhere in his homily, I can't remember where it was, he just invited everybody to stop and pray. And I thought that was so good. Um, I want to do that at the end here. And, and not just about, about what we've talked about in the homily, but you know, I just want to name the fact. You know, it was painful to say the word Jerusalem today. And it was painful to say the reference book of Acts because lately, this past week, Every time I think about the book of Acts, I think about that amazing encounter that Philip had where the Holy Spirit sends him to the road to Gaza. To the road to Gaza. We are Okay, I should have just said pray. We're treading on holy ground. Just just when we say the names of these cities, so I do invite you to pray for probably like a minute and then uh, Artie will lead us um, in a a hymn of response.